Hey everyone, it's David Duchovny. Do you ever feel like a failure? Trust me, I get it. Hell, I've spent my whole life almost feeling like a failure. It's appropriate though, because on Fail Better, my new podcast with Lemonada Media, exploring the world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives is the whole point. Each week I'll chat with artists, athletes, actors, and experts about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, I hope we can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out on May 7th, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the dough, where Cash is queen and we hardly know her, but we're still here figuring her out together because y'all, season two is here. Hosted every week by me, X Maya. Remember me? I'm going to be talking to all types of people about their relationship to money. I'm talking to reality stars, entrepreneurs, financial experts, and even some of my own friends. Basically, anyone who will get real with me about their dollars, how they make money, how they spend it, and how they save it. Because I'm trying to retire early, people. Season two of The Dough is out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Lemonada. I'm Kiki Monique, and this is I'm Sorry, the Webby-nominated podcast about apologies. Um, (laughs) Just saying, in our inaugural season, pretty good. And this week, um, I was hit on by two separate men in the same night. So I'm saying, even though I'm a little older, a little fatter, have a little less tolerance for people in general, I still got it, is all I'm saying. Okay? Oh, hell yeah. They cut straight through that to the chase. I love it. And this is Mohana Dil Sheikhi. And this week I was in D.C., got to go around to see some stuff. Uh, the White House, also known as the Buckingham Palace of the U.S. Uh, speaking of the Buckingham Palace, the Queen. Oh, is she there? Does she still live there? Live? Huh? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> and my name is Oja Lopez. And this week when I was talking to my grandma... She said um, over the phone that she is, quote, tired of chewing. And I know that she means in general and not just in that moment. Um, (laughs) I think she's just tired of chewing. And I just want to let you know that I love you so much, Grandma, and that I hope you have many more years of chewing food. And that's it. Love you, Grams. Okay, so first off, as you said, Kiki, we are so excited to share that I'm Sorry has been named a finalist for the Webby Awards this year. Woohoo! We did so good. And this means that essentially we were in the top five podcasts among thousands submitted in our category. It feels right. It feels true. Um, but now we need your help. So essentially in every category, the judges select a winner and then so do the listeners. So you can vote for the People's Choice Award now through Thursday, April 21st. And to vote, you go to vote.webbyawards.com and you choose podcast under categories and then choose arts and culture under general series. So it's vote.webbyawards.com. And then you choose the arts and culture under the general series. And then you can also find a direct link for the voting in today's show notes and on Lemonada's social media accounts at Lemonada Media on all the platforms. So 
We know we can win with the help of passionate listeners like you. So please vote and tell your friends and family to support us. And we're not alone. We are a podcast house full of potential winners. <laughs> um, another Lemonada show was nominated this year, Last Day. Last Day is um, a riveting Gracie award-winning podcast that zooms in on the last day of someone's life and out to the larger view of deadly influences that led them there. It's hosted by our show's executive producer and Lemonada co-founder, Stephanie Whittles-Wax. And this season, the series is going to be tackling American gun crisis, zooming in on communities in rural Montana impacted by a high rate of firearm-assisted suicides. The Last Day team also covers the high murder by firearm rate in Atlanta, Georgia. Last Day poses the question of how do we live safely in a country where there are more guns than people? Last Day is out wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes premiere every Wednesday. So today we have Sarah Hartshorn. She's a writer, comedian, and content creator who was on Cycle 9 of America's Next Top Model. And after the show, she modeled all over the world for clients like Glamour, Vogue, Skechers. Um, And she's written about her experience with with plus-size modeling, travel, and body image for Guardian, Bustle, Self, Go Nomad, and more. And now she performs stand-up comedy all over the country and works directly with an amazing organization called the Abortion Access Front who's created by the Daily Show co-creator, Liz Winstead. And we are so excited to have her. Well, awesome, Sarah. Welcome. We're so happy to have you. We have Sarah Hartshorn today. Sarah was a contestant on cycle nine of the show, but you are a comedian or uh, uh, do you do stand up? What kind of comedy do you do? I do. I do stand up. And then I'm also a staff writer um, for a nonprofit that makes um, comedy content about reproductive rights called Abortion Access Front or Abortion AF. And then, yeah, so I do writing and stand up and whatever anyone will give me money for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I think me and Kiki and Mo are exactly on the exact same boat. Um, I loved A&TM. I was sort of like thinking of like who I was when the show came out. And so I was like, what else was happening in 2003? And when I started going down the rabbit hole, I was like, oh, my God, 2003 is seminal. It's like, okay, so Justin Timberlake left and sink and put out Justified. So Crime Your River, Senorita, Rock Your Body came out that year. The Lizzie McGuire movie came out. I do remember that. Yes. <laughs> From Justin to Kelly um, with Kelly Clarkson, which, I mean, can you imagine um, the kind of optimism in that movie happening right now. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's possible. Man, um, I was only tangentially aware of a lot of that because in 2003, I was still in high school and I grew up in a town of 600 people in very rural Massachusetts. So I didn't have TV. The nearest video store was like 40 minutes away. So like a lot of this was like, I was sort of, sort of aware, like from other people who lived in other towns yeah. in my high school. Did did you get plucked from that place to America's Next Top Model? Like, how did you hear about the show? Or I I didn't know a lot about the show uh, before I was on it. I'd seen one cycle, but so I went to college in Boston. I left my very small town, so I'd been there for about a year. I was mm. like, and it was lots of like, oh my god, I can go to a seven like processed food. <laughs> my parents were big hippies, so it was a lot of like culture shock of just like TV. So Top Model was like one of the ones that I did. I did watch a little bit of with a friend, but I had a moment like I, there was a moment on the boat 
where at one point Miss J was like, you've all watched models walk the runway. And I was like, I have never watched <laughs> models walk the runway except once maybe on this show. And I was just like, had to, where I was like, oh, I might be in over my head. <laughs> that was the first moment where I was like, I don't know anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, that seems definitely like a, like kind of a theme throughout the show of like them, like this is a little country bumpkin girl just coming straight off the farm on ANTM. She doesn't know shit about shit. So it seems, <laughs> it seems like that wasn't a completely inaccurate sort of um, timeline. I'd had a year um, in Boston, but that, yeah, or um, I guess a year and a half by the time I was on the show, but, but yeah, definitely was like, sort of absorbing as I went along and uh, yeah, learning on the fly. So yeah, I heard about the show in Boston and I tried out with a friend was how I sort of Mm. came aware of it. I was really actually surprised. Like, you know, at the beginning of uh, the year, we did like a who's going to get canceled in 2022, just making predictions. And I was actually surprised when I re-looked at it today that Tyra Banks wasn't on our bingo card because, you know, if there's anything TikTok taught me during lockdown was Gen Z wants Tyra. They want to bring her down. So (laughs) I was surprised that we hadn't included her um, because, yeah, I mean, as people, you know, look, I love America's Next Top Model and I love Tyra Banks and I always will. Watching it through fresh eyes, if you've never grown up in that era of reality, I think people are seeing it now and it's like shocking. But I mean, it was shocking even as I was watching it. But that's what reality TV was like. You had to go through these crazy things. So I even knew at the time when they're like walking wooden planks and doing crazy. I'm like, this shit is crazy. No model does this, but I'm here for it. I honestly, after one, you know, I modeled for seven years after the show and like I had one photo shoot that was kind of cold. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was it was a little chilly, (laughs) but that was really it. Yeah. Yeah. But it it, no, uh, top model is at the nexus of two of the most toxic industries that exist, like reality television and fashion. So, of course, it's going to have just deep, dark twisties. But I it is interesting to think about. Yeah, Gen Z watching it. Some of them re-watching it because they watched it when they were really young and then sort of looking at that yeah. impact. Uh, and then, But some of them watching it for the first time. And it must just be surreal because it was standard at the time. It was like, oh, a reality show, but this one's about fashion, you know? Yeah. It's so crazy, like, the amount of, like, exploitation at that point that we didn't even realize was happening. And I think now we're like, oh, we know what negative typecasting is. We know what like one-sided contracts are. We know like the dangling carrot. Whereas at that point it was like the freaking jungle of reality TV and nobody knew what was happening. Yeah. And even as someone who was within the cogs of the machine, I didn't see it. Right. Mm-hmm. It didn't, there were so many things that didn't occur to me at the time. Like, you know, now looking back, I'm like, oh, that was exploitative. They should have paid us. But at the time, it was like, whatever you want, whatever you want me to do, I will do because you are giving me something. You are giving me a gift. And that was the dynamic so much that it never occurred to me that I had any leverage, which I didn't, to be fair. And they said that from the get-go, a million girls would kill to be where you are. And so Mm -hmm. it never seemed exploitative at the time. And it's only in retrospect that we're able to see it. But... I mean, you went viral because you tweeted, you know, somebody was like talking about and you replied like, yeah, paid $40 a day, no residuals. And we had to pay for our own food. And people were like, what the fuck? Like $40 a day? 
people, a lot of people weren't. A lot of people were really upset with me for that tweet. I got death threats because of that what? tweet. Yeah. Oh. And I had no oh. idea that people still were that obsessed with Tyra and top model, which is, and which is why that tweet honestly haunts me because it's also not totally accurate. It was $38. It wasn't $40. <laughs> Edit correction. Yeah. Still now you protect them. Yeah. And, um, and it, we weren't technically paid at all. The $38 was a cash stipend that they gave us to pay for food. And they made a point of being like, we don't have to do this. Um, and so, yeah, that was where I lost all my, I mean, I went home from the show so stone cold broke and I was really one of the lucky ones because from the get-go, I, I tried to save a lot of my cash food stipend because um, I had gone in broke. And so I like had that mentality of like, okay, well, this is cash. So I got to keep as much as I can. And um, yeah, I mean, a lot of girls really struggled and were, yeah, went hungry and broke. <laughs> but you like still keep a really positive attitude because you say, you know, people were like, oh, you know, but you were like, I didn't say I hated the show. Like, yeah, I hated what they did in this respect. They should have paid us. But I still like don't hate that I did the show. And I even I was watching one of your episodes because I wanted to see you were one of the ones who got your hair chopped off. And, you know, you also seemed really like hey, you know, I've been wanting to chop my hair, but I didn't want to look like my mom, but they dyed it blonde and I don't look, you know, you were very positive the whole time. Like, do you still feel that way? I do. I mean, it's hard because it is, it is definitely one of those things where you have to let two sort of uncomfortable truths ha exist at once, right? Like it was exploitative. I wouldn't recommend it for a lot of people. And at the same time, I am glad I did it because it was a formative experience for me. And yeah, I think it's one of those things where, just letting those two things exist at the same time can be tricky. And I think a lot of people who really loved the show, that's why they were so upset by my tweet because they were like, I loved it. It made me happy. Why is that not true in these like whatever, a hundred characters? Like why aren't these 100 characters that you tweeted reflecting the joy that it brought me? And it's like, because it doesn't, that's my experience. And that is different than yours. Like, I think a lot of people had a hard time with that. Yeah, you know, it, we all know when you tweet something, you have to include everyone else's experience, every person, just account for it. Or someone will be like, what about me? Here, the psycho who you don't know. Yeah, uh, every tweet must apply to me. Exactly, yeah. It's so funny that you say like, yeah, like two truths can exist because Tyra to me, she represents like, she's she's Oprah to me in, in the sense of like, these are two women that raised me, right? And I will always love them, always appreciate them. And they can really do no wrongs. However, going back, there are things that, you know, I, I want them to acknowledge, right? And address because they have to like say like, okay, I had to do that at the time because that is how the time was. And now times are different. And like, I, I, I see that, right? Um, so yeah, I, I, I love America's Next Top Model and seeing all these things, it is horrific, but I also am like, I really still love that show. My experience is also not by any means universal for people who are on the show. I do know there are some contestants who are legitimately traumatized and are still dealing with some serious repercussions from the show. I think for me, nothing that the show did was worse than what the fashion industry did right after it. And nothing worse than what the culture around me had done to me as a teenager beforehand. So it can be contextualized in that because, you know, they didn't exploit my childhood trauma. They didn't, um, you know, I didn't have physical injuries that lasted for years afterwards. Yeah. The like, it's a different time argument is very complicated because it's, tr it's true, 
but yeah i feel like a lot of it is just like her being like well these are the fucked up shit i went through so it's normal so I am preparing you for how fucked up it is. But at the same time, I'm just like, <laughs> you can't just continue the cycle of just everything bad happened to me. I have to inflict that on you so you'll be used to it. And instead of just like maybe like being a like, you know, a power of change in that way. And being like, no, this is how we want to do it now and how I yeah. should make the industry different. And I'll be like, no, this is the industry. We'll just gonna keep it the same way i'm gonna prepare you for the worst possibilities ever i'm just like i don't know (laughs) because i was reading the article like i I mean i didn't really watch the show that much but you know like the article that came out today and some of the stuff i was just like holy shit yeah i am surprised there was no paragraph there was like there was a sniper on the roof or some shit (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i i also do want to just sort of distinguish and, and not to belittle what Tyra went through because I do very much think that she was someone who was the product and in some ways the victim of the fashion industry right and that is significant and that impacted her and that is part of what you know made the show harmful in some ways was from that from her participating in that system that she had been a part of since she was so young and I don't want to minimize that but I do also want to say that the reality television aspect of it definitely made it so that it was beyond what she experienced right like yes I'm sure that she had some very difficult runways that she walked down I don't know if it was ever, uh, you know, a pendulum swinging like <laughs> over water that maybe had crocodiles in it. Truly, that yeah. show was so many things. It was like, yes, part photo shoot, but also part like Japanese, like body, like swung, like show, punched yeah. over game uh-huh. show. Plus also like the house. So there's this element of like drama at the house. Like it truly has so in a makeover show, which in and of itself, you had like that swan show. So it literally tried to hit like every single thing we were seeing in reality TV at that point. But then it's like real people that are going through all these things just with the hope of making it in fashion. So it truly, yeah, it seems like even though people had different experiences of it, it seems like everybody kind of uniformly went through a tough experience, something very difficult, even if maybe they came out of it without, you know, this like hurt, hurt feeling. Um, Do you guys have like a group chat? Like, do you all talk to each other? Like, where do you connect on a Facebook group? Um, We used to have an email chain because also you have to remember I was on in 2000. Eight. This was before social media, so mm. all we had was emails, and they also took our phones away. Oh god! Right. So we did not really have like we just we wrote on a piece of paper our emails, and then I ended up. I still have it. Actually, I still have that piece of paper. The phone stuff is really because that's pretty standard across all reality TV. It feels that they take people's phones away and take away their ability to kind of like connect with family and like, is that to minimize like the possibility of that stuff coming out or what's your impression of that? It's for a couple different reasons. Partially a big thing is they don't want you to know what time it is ever. And also you're, yeah, they want to disconnect you from your friends and family or really it's that they want to control your communication with them. So there was a phone in the house and we would get like say an hour where we were allowed to use it to call whoever, we, you know, whoever had signed the contract that we were allowed to talk to. We would get about an hour, which 
to be clear, not an hour each. We would get an hour and there were like 10 of us. I Like I remember once, you know, a bunch of people went over their time. So I didn't get to call and I was like very upset. Oh, they didn't use yeah. that in the show. And I was like, I remember being like, this is good drama. I am crying. <laughs> yeah. But did it not fit in with your, like, cause how, who were you typecast? I mean, part of this article and this article we're mentioning, by the way, is this insider article that came out by Kate Taylor that just, she talked to a bunch of the contestants. And so like in the article, it talks about how they put everyone as like the bad girl, the party girl or the ugly duckling. Like, did you know what your typecast was? Cause maybe that that crying wouldn't have fit in with it. Yeah, I really didn't. And I think that was part of the problem. And I think that's why I didn't make mm. it farther was because maybe they did have an idea for me and I just didn't know what it was. I constantly felt like I was letting them down. Like I knew that they wanted something from me and I was a people pleaser. And so I wanted to do it, you know, and they asked these very leading questions in the interviews because they would ask me like, how do you feel about your body? Like, is it hard when you wake up? And you see that everyone's thinner than you. Oh my god! I remember, like, I, I re- when I was rewatching the episodes, I remembered you because you, you were, you were like a size eight. And I remember when I was watching the time, I was probably about maybe like a twelve or fourteen, probably a fourteen at the time. And I remember thinking, like, wow, so eight is a plus size. I don't think I'll ever be able to be a plus size model. I mean, forget the fact that I'm five, six, right? I had other delusions, right? But I was like, I'll never be a plus size model because I'm a 14. It's just amazing how far we've come, right? Because like eight- Which is ironic because the size 14 is the perfect plus size model. It was (laughs) then and still now. It's right in them. It's that's right. Yeah, like 10 to 18 are where agencies usually sign and 14 was like the- the sweet spot. Um, I know it's, it's the weight thing is a whole other thing that very much was just the show mirroring what was going on, like in the world and in the industry. And it was, who boy, it's, it was messed up. Well, yeah. And I think that's like the, like, that's the underlying thing about all of this. It's like, yes, was America's next top model, like toxic for so many reasons, of course, but that's because the fashion industry itself, which it was bored from was, is, still like one of the most toxic industries out there. So how could it not be right? And then like you said, just elevating it to that reality TV level. I mean, I think it was interesting that you even use like, can't repeat the cycle. Well, she actually did. They called him cycle. Yeah, literally so. repeated the cycle 27 <laughs> times yeah. um, or 24, however many there are. I don't know. But so I don't know what, what like role they wanted me to fill. It might've been like the country bumpkin who was super body positive And I just failed on both accounts. <laughs> you know? And I was like, I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah. So I don't, I don't know what archetype they wanted me to fill. And I, but I know that I didn't do it. <laughs> And I know that, like, I'm pretty sure they wanted me to cry when they cut all my hair off. And I was just like, hell yeah. Yeah, you were excited. (laughs) You were so happy. Yeah. I mean, they definitely, like, I remember always being traumatized by the girls who had to cut all the hair off, especially the Black girls, because I know how long it takes me to grow my hair. And I was like oh my God, I'm going to cry. And so when I saw you cheering, I was I was also like very surprised. But like, it was interesting because I remember there was a contestant, Jada. I don't know if she was mentioned in this article or another article. Jada, you know, she was, you know, gorgeous. She had long hair and everyone was saying later, like they thought Tyra, you know, only chopped her hair to really like kind of like put her in her place. And, you know, it kind of got bad with her because then she had to go to like, she had a Spanish model who said he doesn't like black girls. And then she had to kiss him. And like those things I remember even in the moment feeling like, mm. uh, but also, I mean, again, because it was that era, I remember thinking 
that's what the modeling industry is like. And so that's why you got to put up with it. I mean, I do remember having those thoughts. Yeah. And that part of it honestly is sort of accurate. When you sign with an agency, like when I signed with an agency, they had me, I, I had grown my hair out a little bit and, but it was dark and it was sort of a weird reddish color and they had me cut it and go blonde. And then that didn't work. So they had me go back to brown, but they do dictate like what your hair looks like. And I know also I was a catalog plus size model. So my experience was very different, but I know that like, you know, if they want to market you towards high fashion and they want to send you on runway casting, sometimes the change will be really extreme and they will cut all your hair off or, you know, and and yeah. And especially for black models, like a lot of them either have to work really hard to like have long hair that then is stylable by idiot white stylists or they're pressured to keep it really short so they can wear wigs, which they also have to bring and style themselves. And the industry has changed a little bit now so that there's room for sort of more like expression, especially if you have a social media following. But uh, at the time that I was on Top Model, it very much was like you got, you really got rebuilt. I'm Rachel Martin. After hosting Morning Edition for years, I know that the news can wear you down. So we made a new podcast called Wild Card, where a special deck of cards and a whole bunch of fascinating guests help us sort out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, and it is seriously fun. Join me on Wild Card wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Hi, I'm June Diane Raphael. And I'm Jessica St. Clair. And each week, we are sitting down to talk all about life's twists, turns, and absurdities on The Deep Dive. From exploring the depths of TikTok, which is our only news source, to navigating the complexities of grief and loss, we are just two best friends behind a mic processing life together. This podcast is all about finding the silver linings in the madness. So get ready for unfiltered conversations about motherhood, careers, pop culture, and everything in between. Here at The Deep Dive, we're all about community. We believe in the power of sharing experiences and the strength that comes from supporting one another. And we would love to have you with us. So be sure to join us every Wednesday on The Deep Dive from Lemonada Media, wherever you get your podcasts. There's also that new, um, like the, I don't know if you read the Bustle profile on Anjali Preston and just kind of like, also, it just reminds me of how much like we've changed our perspective on sex work and what that means now. Yeah. And so it's such an interesting lens. Like to me, that's such a change between like, say a Vanessa Williams losing the Miss America crown because of pictures or Angelie losing her literal crown here. And it's always a woman and it's always like a beauty focused thing because it's sort of like those industries can be adjacent. And again, you're being exploited at times in your life where you don't know what's going on in many ways. And I wonder if, you know, part of that is Angelie's story too, but I know she came, she was on cycle 12 and 14 and, I was just reading about her particular experience and and it seems like it is very different than yours in that way. It's like hers went great until it didn't. She had the best possible 
outcome of that. And then it still even afterwards was kind of taken away from her. I mean, what are your thoughts, I guess, on her? And and you guys also read the article. So it's just an interesting perspective, you know? I mean, the article was was fascinating for a lot of reasons and frustrating for a lot of reasons, partially because, yeah, yet again, someone is not just being victimized, but then being punished again for being victimized, which is so backwards and is so typical. And it's just, I, I, I always say like blaming models for the fashion industry is like blaming the decal on a car for the motor breaking down. Mm-hmm. It's really backwards. They are not the ones in power. It, and, and I think the other thing is that, you know, it was really interesting to hear how the process was different for the all-stars, which I sort of knew because I've talked to Bianca about it a little bit, who was on my cycle and I think did an all-stars because there's a lot more contact with higher up producers. Yeah, I mean, it was very bait and switch. You know, it was like, you know, anyone who read the article, it was like clear that like she had tried out for the first season, you know, didn't get through, tried out for the next season, you know, got further. But then, you know, when she went into the fashion world to actually say like, okay, now I can try to become a model. All the agents were like, oh, is this portfolio from top model? Because they yeah. nobody took reality stars seriously, right? So here she has this portfolio, but nobody's taking it seriously. So she can't get real modeling jobs. And now she's on hard times. And she is sort of like gotten involved in this man who has their in this sex work world which you know it can happen to anybody it's not like it's this thing where she was kidnapped off the street it's like you meet a person we all saw zola right we saw how it's like you meet a friend and then next thing you know you're in miami who knows you know and that can happen to anyone and then it's like she gets the chance to do all stars and you know they had known that this sort had sort of happened to her and maybe they didn't know she was going to make it to the end. And then when they get to the end and now she's being crowned, they're like, how will this affect us? So now we have to take away the money. We have to take away. She can't be a cover girl if her, if her history comes out. And yeah, it's just, it's wrong on every level. And I was sad to learn that, you know, she ended up dismissing her lawsuit because she was like, you know, there was no way I was going to win because she does deserve, you know, to get something for that. And, and, these are the things that Tyra should speak out about. Because again, I get that Tyra is a figurehead. I mean, but at the end of the day, the buck still stops with you because your face is on, you know, on the brand. And so. And she was very involved, which I think, you know, is both impressive and groundbreaking and also does mean, yeah, that, you know, she does then therefore need to be held responsible. And I think it's frustrating for her because, and this is total conjecture, but she has apologized, right? She has said like, she yeah. tweeted, you know, oh, it was really cringe. And it's like, first of all, that's not super enough. <laughs> um, like, I get it. I get it. It feels, I, you know, it felt like a concession. It felt, but it's a tweet. And, but also, you know, sometimes when you have done damage uh, and when you have inflicted harm, even if you were part of a bigger wheel, you have to sit with that. And I think there's a hesitation to do that. And that's not just Tyra. I think that's sort of a, that's a big universal, right? People have a lot of trouble. Like we say cancel. And to me, what that means is just sitting with the fact that you did something wrong. I especially think it's like uh, difficult for celebrities, people in the public eye, because they're like, am I going to make this worse? Are more people going to come out? They're going to love me or hate me no matter what I say. And so to a certain extent, I think it precludes people or it, um, makes people even be shy about publicly apologizing, feeling like it's going to bring even more hate. And Tyra Banks was on the Tamron Hall show and she 
was kind of quoted as saying that she was uh, still a model at that time when she was on ANTM, that she hadn't retired yet, and that she still felt like she was operating in the world that had so many rules. And while she was trying to push boundaries, she was torn because she felt like she was really trying to make sure that these girls we're going to get work after this. Um, and that whole idea of like breaking beauty barriers, like I didn't know you could be a plus size model uh, um, until ANTM. So it always comes with this double edged sword yeah. of we're not doing it perfectly and we're fucking up, but we're pushing the dial just slightly more in the right direction. And that's why I think sometimes it, it, you have to watch these things with a grain of salt. You can't always like, brush it all with your with your current sort of like moral compass there's definitely something that it was doing even if it wasn't doing much you know yeah i i, I think that yes <laughs> yeah you don't disagree I, i'm open to that totally i don't think that the models had to be exploited and taken advantage of and right. yeah in order to do that you know what i mean it's like and it's not that that doesn't just it's and I also think that um, they have gotten their merits for the good that they did. Yeah, I think I think there's been a lot of padding on the back of like, yes, this show was groundbreaking, plus size inclusion. And I think that that good has been acknowledged, but I don't necessarily think that the darker side of it has. And I don't think that that level yeah. they could have paid us, you know, because they had the money. It's just I feel like it's mostly like they don't deserve it. Literally, it's just like we're not we're not going to give it to them because not they're not worthy of it, period. Right. And they don't have to. Right. You don't have to pay reality yeah. TV contestants in order to make successful reality TV. People will be on the show. But just because people are willing to be exploited doesn't mean you should exploit them. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I'm of two minds with that, because, again, like I said, I am mm. still glad I did the show. I don't regret it, but I, I do think that they should regret it. Does that make sense? Like, <laughs> yes. I think that Ken Mock should have some thoughts. Um, I mean, the sex work thing is is very much it's a different time. But what's frustrating there is there's there's a reality TV angle to play there that is family friendly. Right. Of course. Yeah. The victim card is sad. I don't think again, I don't think this is the way it should be. But they could have played the victim card hard. Like the, you, you think that they could have in her defense, created a narrative that what actually helped her and that, yeah. Yeah. And that they just chose not to do that exactly, because they yeah. were judging her essentially. A hundred percent. And also yeah. they were afraid. Yeah. Because that storyline would have absolutely worked. Like we would have all been, we would have been rooting for her. We literally been yeah. like, I was rooting for you. Cause like, that is like to come through all of that and then end up the winner. We would have been, bawling her eyes out and yeah. yeah it was sad that they instead chose to just judge her and throw her away and and literally scrub her entire existence we don't even the only reason we even know she won is because she sued them yeah otherwise we never would have known and that's yeah. terrible and her, sadly her experience in the fashion industry is really typical i remember you know, going and meeting with agencies and, and then being like, OK, you can put these in the back of your book, but you have to you have to shoot with other photographers like you need other photos. You can't use these because they don't show off your body. They don't show off your face. You have this extreme makeup like you have to walk in as a blank slate as a model. And so, yeah, top model portfolios are not useful <laughs> um, <laughs> in casting. Hi, 
there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. After season one aired, I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. And of course, my 90-year-old mom, Judy. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me Season 2 is out now from Lemonada Media. Do you ever get hit with a cringy memory of your 13-year-old self out of nowhere and suddenly you're panic sweating and laughing at the same time? Don't, don't worry, don't worry. We all get that. It's because being an adolescent is one of the most visceral shared experiences we have as people. And we want to talk about it. Join me, Penn Badgley, and my two friends, Nava and Sophie, on Podcrushed as we interview celebrity guests about the joys and horrors of being a teenager and how those moments made them who they are today. New episodes of Podcrushed are out now, wherever you get your podcasts. My question to you in terms of like, because we always hear this stuff about like the edit, the edit, the edit. And that's such a huge thing on reality TV. Did you feel like you were, aside from maybe like some exclusions of what you felt was TV worthy drama of you crying? But <laughs> did you feel um, or do you know of people who felt like their edit was like, again, the typecast piece? Like, how did you feel about your edit? Maybe that's the the question. I know a lot of people who definitely felt like their edit was manipulated mm. towards their typecast. And I know a lot of people who straight up feel that their edit was heavily manipulated because it was, you know, there were yeah. moments where they were like, okay, I said that, but I didn't say that in that conversation. Mm. I did a TikTok about the leading questions that they ask, how they don't tell you to say something. They will never say like, can you say this? They just ask you questions to get you to say exactly what they want. I made a TikTok about that and a reality show producer stitched me and basically went on to explain all of the editing tricks that they use. And it was, it was a little horrifying because she just had this like very pleasant smile on her face. And she's like, yeah, we really like to get them drunk. And then sometimes if you can just get them to say yes, like then you can then, you know, pull that. And, and it was just like, you're smiling while you are talking. Like, do you understand? It was just, it was so bizarre and sort of grim. I personally felt like my edit was okay. There was one moment where I had sort of a disagreement with Lisa and it was edited weirdly where I just was like, that's not how I remember it. But it was also so minor that A, I was surprised it was on air and B, I was like, eh, like who cares? <laughs> you know, like, and she and I are fine. Like I called her at the time and I was like, Hey, I'm sorry. Is that how it happened? Cause if so, I was a dick and I'm really sorry. And she was like, I don't really remember. I don't know. We're good. And I was like, okay. I wonder if they're incepting memories and like all of a sudden there's just people walking around who think things about, you know, how things happen that are just not actually accurate. Oh, absolutely. Like one of the most amazing things I learned from Spencer Pratt's TikTok was the Frankensteining of Hills where he was like, this conversation and this conversation happened at two completely different times and they've mashed it up. Did not happen. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Gia Tolentino was on um, a reality show. Like she talks about how she doesn't remember a lot of the things that made it to air because our brains create stories all the time. And the second we feel like someone else is creating a story, we don't form memories of it. And that's so true. I've re I've, I've only managed to rewatch one episode and I I'm working on it, but <laughs> there's so much that I don't remember. I like, I, I totally, and there's some really weird moments 
that I didn't remember at all. And then I would watch and I was like, oh, right. They blindfolded us. They blindfolded us for like two hours. <laughs> and the second I saw it, then I remembered on a, uh, they blindfolded us on a huge bus going over these windy Puerto Rican roads um, in San Juan. And like all the girls just turned green. By the time we took our blindfolds off, everyone was so sick. Um, but I'd totally forgotten that. But, like, couldn't, if you'd asked me, did they blindfold you? I'd been like, no, until I saw a literal video of it. Wow. I love that TikTok has allowed us, though, to see, like, the background of, like, all those, like, how they produce them, how they ask those questions. It, it's really interesting to peek behind the manipulation of that. And I know that, like, Unreal, the TV series, they did, like, some heavy investigation into, like, how these reality shows were produced. And it was a really, like, it felt, again, it goes back to the exploitative piece and why the hell you need to get paid. If you're going to get tortured, essentially, and then after that, they're going to edit you to make you look like a pawn, you need more than $40 a day. I'm sorry. $38 a day. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. This precision is is much needed. I feel like you need to come back one day and we need to talk about just the other things about reality TV that <laughs> like are just like the fun parts of it. Because, um, yeah, I mean, separate from um, AMTM. It's not that it's not fun. It absolutely is not fun. Like there were, of course, there were lots of fun moments. But the thing about reality TV back then is that they were constantly working to make sure we were slightly on edge. So... It's it's hard to convey what fun is like when you also are on edge. Yeah. It, it, you know, all the time, like 20, you know, from mm. the moment you wake up until the moment you fall asleep and your sleep is fitful because you're in a room with 13 other girls who also snore. And also there are literally cameras on you while you are sleeping like it's <laughs> and you don't know what time it is uh, because or what day it is. Sounds like Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> They want to keep you in the casino not knowing. So, yeah, it's not that it's not fun. It's just that it is orchestrated to not be fun. <laughs> and adds to the volatility and surely allows them to control things even more. We love it. We hate it. We love to hate it. All of it. Well, thank you so much for being on. This was so much fun. I, again, it was like a pleasure to try to understand um, your perspective and just get more of the back end of things because it's so interesting <laughs> it's so interesting and can you tell us i mean i'm obviously i'm gonna follow you now can you tell everyone else though where we can follow you and all of that good stuff it's just my name it's sarah hartshorn um and s-a-r-a-h and h-a-r-t-s-h-o-r-n-e i'm on all the platforms doing doing just the most um getting way too much so um of my validation <laughs> from social media so thank you <laughs> as we as we do <laughs> as we do yeah look i'm a real i'm a retired model former reality tv star i gotta be on there you know perfect Okay, now it's time for my favorite segment that we do every week, Sorry Not Sorry, where we either uh, apologize to someone or demand an apology. And like every week, I'm going to start with Oha. So what's happening this week? Yes. So this week, I would like to demand an apology from my uh, good friend. She'll know who she is. She knows. She knows. She already knows. And this apology I need from her because... I had a party at my house and she couldn't make it to that party. 
And then later she started calling that party my white people friend party. (laughs) Because, right, we're right. Because apparently when I looked back at it, only white people were there. And oh. right. And so she's like, I couldn't make it to your white people party. And she has been making fun of me nonstop this week for, quote, having a non-inclusive party at my house <laughs> that just happened to be all white. And I do want to disclaim here that she was 100 percent right. And I'll, I'll, just to give you a few notes on the party, we played board games and <laughs> drank very pale ill-tasting beer the whole time and everybody was very quiet and nice and it was good and was it great who knows i don't know but it was a good party so that's all i have to say about that i mean i will say at least you did not have servers who were all non-white because then that would have been the only (laughs) thing that would have made it worse (laughs) right 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 (laughs) <laughs> um it, it was a nice party um but she did point it out and i do i'll take that note but also apologize to me nice well i kind of have an apology that's like it's like a dual apology also from a friend i will name him his name is steven um, <laughs> okay steven yeah you know who you are it's sort of like i mean he definitely probably owes me more apologies but i will also apologize back basically we decided we had a long day we were gonna go get lunch we both agreed on sushi which was great it was quick decision we didn't really know the area and where we were going to get sushi so he's looking it up on his phone because i'm driving and then he finds a place we kind of agreed like as long as it's not in pasadena and he's like oh i found this place and then he's like i'm like how do i get there and then we get on the highway he's like yeah it's in pasadena so already even though we had agreed it wouldn't be pasadena we still end up going to pasadena fine Because I also knew a sushi spot over there in case the place we get to isn't great. Yeah. Get to there. Can't find the place he had picked. So I said, let's just go to the place I know. He's like, I'll do the order. We'll do a pickup. Do that on the phone. Wait outside the restaurant. It says, you know, ready for pickup. Yeah. Go inside the restaurant. And he comes back empty handed because he has picked the location that's in Glendale, which is about 20 minutes away. Oh, God. (laughs) And now I'm like, I'm like furious because I'm hungry. I'm hangry. Mm. And on top of it, I don't, the two least favorite places I want to drive to, Pasadena and Glendale, I don't want to be in either of them. And now I have to go to both of them. And I also don't like cold soup. And I'd ordered miso soup. Um, So anyways, I apologize to him only because I did drive, I think, 100 miles per hour. At one point, I got up on uh, the shoulder just to get there as fast as possible. I mean, I don't blame you. Yeah. No, yeah. And so maybe scared him to death. But you know what? I don't like cold soup. Um, So we both owe each other apologies, but he definitely owes me more, I feel like. (laughs) Every time you say cold soup, I'm like, like, do you mean the Gestapo? (laughs) (laughs) Well, for me, uh, this week, I was in Washington, D.C., also known as the Capitol. They have a sign there that says that. And I was like, that's cool. Didn't know that. I assumed New York was the (laughs) Capitol. New York is the capital of the world. D.C. is just the capital of the U.S. (laughs) Yeah, that is true. I I do agree with that. Yeah. And I was doing I was doing I did a few shows there in D.C. And I remember after one of the shows, this guy comes up to me. And, you know, I talked about on stage about like being from Libya and all of that. And he will just went on into this whole thing, you know, just like, you know, wanted to talk geopolitics, which is great. What a great topic to talk about after a comedy set. 
Uh, I was like, yeah, I'm really enjoying my time right now. Do not want to kill myself. Uh, but he he seemed like he knew too much, and I was like, you know, talking details with me. And I was like, oh wow, okay, this guy seems like he's he knows what he's talking about. It got to a point where I was like, do you? I was like, do you have family there or something? Like you, you feel like you I feel like you know like very specific details. And then he said, oh no, my brother works for the U.S. intelligence. And I was just like, oh, like the CIA. And he was like, sort of. And I was like, cool, man. What a what a waste of my time this was. <laughs> this could have been a good conversation that you just ruined. I was like, I am good, man. I don't want to talk anymore. So I'm not sure how, who I'm asking an, an apology from here. It's, it is the guy. It's his brother. Is it the CIA as well? I guess they could apologize to me for wasting my time. I cannot think of anything else the CIA has done wrong. <laughs> At all. Yeah. Perfect people. Except this one thing to me personally. So, hey, if you if you want to send me a letter where you apologize to me, I'm pretty sure you know my address. So please, please do. Or drop it on me while I'm walking. You know, you guys love <laughs> dropping stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it's so nice to be in D.C. And just like, you know what's funny about it? You see someone like wearing like uh, a hat that says like the FBI or something. And if you see it in New York or somewhere else, you're like, oh, it's just, you know, one of those like fun hats you buy at a store. In D.C., you're like, are you the FBI? Because <laughs> you could be. <laughs> Who knows? I wish you had stayed in D.C. because this is the uh, kickoff to the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, which is oh. like probably the biggest thing happening in dc and then oh, you needed no your idea. coverage on it could have been on the yeah on the ground boots on the ground pictures i'll go back it all i'll go back i'll go back tonight <laughs> i'm sorry is a lemonada media original this episode was produced by jorge Olivares. our executive producers are stephanie whittles wax and jessica cordova kramer our mix is by kat yor and theme music was composed by Xander Singh. If you like this show, please rate and review. And please don't cancel us. You can find out more about our show at Lemonana Media on all social platforms or follow us on Instagram at I'm sorry underscore podcast. We'll be back next week. And until then, be nice, play fair, and always say I'm sorry. Hi, I'm Feminasty Erin Gibson. And I'm homosexual Brian Safi. And we're the co-hosts of the Attitudes Podcast. Where we talk about LGBT plus issues, gender issues, and pop culture. Probably with much less respect than they deserve. Look, it's a wild world, and we want to help you laugh at it. Plus, we discuss everything going on in our lives. Like what do you do when your husband accidentally starts a fire in a dumpster? And the best armpit slapping techniques to get rid of the bags under your eyes. Thanks for the advice, Mom. And of course, how to spin a wig around to achieve a brand new look. Ah, stunning. So if you're a fan of high heel shoe chairs or have a crippling fear of hot air balloons, but also believe in social justice, then this show's for you. Listen to Attitudes anywhere you get your podcasts. Last Day is a show about the moments that change us. I just don't think I will ever get used to this. I'm Stephanie Whittles-Wax, and I have had one of these moments. We all have. So let's unpack the chaos that is our human existence together. I don't believe things happen for a reason. I don't believe the universe has a plan. Each week, I sit down with a new guest to explore happy, sad stories of transformation. It's leaning far, far into the pain. That's what it is. Listen to Last Day wherever you get your podcasts.